Acts chapter 16, I'm going to continue my study on experiencing God. Tonight I'm going to talk about experiencing God in new places. So if it's new, it's not new to God, but it could be new to us. And if we're not open to new things, it means that we could get into a rut. And a rut has been known as a grave with the ends kicked out. And so it's a dead-end road. It won't lead you anywhere new, nothing exciting, nothing vibrant. It's the same old, same old. It's, you know, get up and eat and do the chores and take care of my responsibilities. And there's no sense of expectation or anticipation. We just are just stoic Christians on our way to a glorious and beautiful place called heaven, but somehow we've gotten stuck in these really unhealthy places that don't keep our faith vibrant. And so I'm going to talk about if you want to experience something new from God, he's probably going to meet you in a new place in your life. And that new place, once again, is not something that he's unfamiliar with, but it's sometimes something that we're uncomfortable with. Come on, something that you maybe wouldn't even believe that he would dabble in. You thought you had to deal with God. You can come this far and no farther. You can dabble in my life to this degree, but not over in these areas of my life. Those are reserved for me. And... We know the invitation of Jesus is one that is so compelling that he says, if I knock and you open, my desire is to have fellowship with you in all areas of your life. And so, yes, while it might be something that at times we're little, we're a little reluctant to allow him to do, he's pretty persistent. He just continues to knock on that area and I know that you'll get the spirit of this as we go. God is not going to come in and just take over. But as we yield ourselves unto him, he will occupy places in our life and meet us in new places, even in the way that we move and have rhythm in our lives. And most of us are accustomed to meeting God Again, our daily devotions, we believe that that's a place where God would meet with us. We're not quite sure if we would experience God in other places outside of the ones that we designate for God to come. It's like we invite him to this time, to this place, to do a work in our lives, to get us ready for the day where we will handle all the responsibilities from there. So here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 13 through 15 reads this way. And on the Sabbath day, he went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke with the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Uh, uh, 
well. I mean, uh, this is a this is a a new day for for Lydia, who was an entrepreneur. She was uh, in business, and she was good at what she did. Selling a purple was uh, something that that provide means for her. We don't know if she was a widow. We don't know much about her household, but we do know that she was a woman of prayer, but there were things that she didn't know, and there were things about the Lord that she was unaware of. And so when Paul discovered where people gathered together uh, to to pray or to seek the Lord, he he said, that's where I believe I'm supposed to be. And so he went to the river, which wasn't the temple. And uh, so it was, you know, outside of the norm for most people. And down by the river, they were gathering to pray. And the Lord opened up her heart and her eyes, which means that she had something to do with that receptive moment. And she learned something about the Lord and it brought her to a place where she was baptized. She made a decision. I, I, I need to publicly confess or acknowledge Christ as my Savior through water baptism. And she took that step of faith and then showed hospitality to Paul and those that were traveling with him. We'll talk about a little bit more of the unusual places that God works as we continue. Acts chapter 17 and verse 16 and 17. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So, his feet found two places where he wanted to proclaim the truth to people. One was a place where people traditionally gathered uh, to hear a message or to hear more about the things of the Lord. And one was sort of breaking new ground. It was the marketplace. We, we know that the marketplace is, is somewhere where God desires to be active and wants to be active. And we have an example of it here in Acts chapter 17. And so while, while Paul was in the marketplace, there were a number of people that were attracted to his message. And from that, there were a number of people that put their faith in Christ. So there was activity and God working both in a traditional way where people would gather to worship as well as a non-traditional way or in a new place where people were not accustomed to people making decisions for Christ. So the river was a new place, and now the marketplace is a new place where God is revealing and unfolding and making known who he is to people that he loves. And then in Acts chapter 18, let's pick up in the seventh verse, and he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack, attack you to hurt you, for I have many people 
in this city. So we see by the river. Everybody say by the river. And then in the marketplace. And then in someone's home. Now, we might say someone's home, well, you know, we have Bible studies and we would expect, you know, the work of God to be happening there and the activity of God to be taking place. But this was new for the people of that time in the first century church because most of the places that they traditionally gathered were historically, you know, uh, where their, their forefathers gathered and was was in the synagogue, uh, in a tabernacle. Uh, and it was at usually a, a, a pretty large number of people that would, would come together. And they gathered together for sacred feasts and festivals. And, and Scripture tells us about those gatherings and how important it was for the sense of community. But now, God by His Spirit is beginning to work outside of their traditional ways of thinking and their traditional places of worshiping. So these people were encountering and experiencing the grace and the goodness and the salvation of God in new places. And it tells me that when Jesus' resurrection occurred and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he didn't say, go into all of the synagogues and preach the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And those that obeyed and went experienced God in new places. I imagine that the early leaders of the church, the early ministers of the church, were just as surprised at the activity of the Holy Spirit outside of traditional places as they were sometimes him working in traditional places. Uh, the work that was so significant in Acts chapter 18 that I want to point out to you is that Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue and uh, was was converted when they went to Justice House and Paul was there. So somehow news got from the house over to uh, the more traditional place where people worship to where the minister came and experience God in a new place. Now we have taught, and and it's right and it's true that when the veil in the in the temple was tore, that in the Holy of Holies that the Spirit of God moved out because God's desire was that He would be the God of all people, of all nations. But up until that time, you have to understand that people's attitude and concept of experiencing God was you have to make a pilgrimage. You have to go to a certain location. And we could see that in conversations that uh, Jesus had, like with the woman at the well. She said, now you Jews say this is where we worship. But we say it's over here. So. In their mind, there was a a specific time and place where God would meet. But God was doing a new thing, and so it wasn't tied directly to a location, and there wasn't a pilgrimage that people had to make. It was God coming and revealing himself to people wherever they were. So I want to share with you, first of all, that God is at work. God is at work. If you can identify evil, 
Why is it that we have such a hard time identifying good? If we have an eye to identify darkness, why don't we have a better eye to identify light? Because none of us would dispute that God is greater than the devil or light is greater than darkness. But why is it that we're so quick to point out all that's wrong and we forget to see all that's right? How is it that we point out all the evil and unrighteous things and we don't give glory to God for all the good and holy things that are going on? Maybe maybe we're trapped in a little bit of this, God only works here. God can only work when. Maybe we've limited God like the nation of Israel did. Maybe we've put parameters on his presence and how he works because it doesn't fit within the framework of what is comfortable to us. Anybody else guilty? Okay. So we think, no, God couldn't be at work in that person's life or in that place. We say things like that's almost a God-forsaken place and a God-forsaken people. And just the opposite of what Scripture says. Now, maybe there's some transformation that can take place in our thinking so we can experience God and help others experience God in new places. Now, the people that usually live by waterways or by the river, um, you know, usually are not people of, uh, of noble status. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have beautiful homes around the water, around the ocean or whatever, but, you know, they're just, they're just good folk. They're good country folk. And normal, everyday people. And that are just, taking care of their responsibilities, providing for their family. And and uh, maybe, you know, some of them are more spiritual than what we believe they are. Maybe there's a lot more Lydia's out there and uh, we're just not, you know, observant or sensitive enough to know that they really are people of faith. They really are praying. They're believing God. They're looking to the Lord and, and maybe we've discounted some people. You know, maybe we've just, you know, put them in a category that, you know, they just want to be left alone. They don't want anyone to be, you know, coming into their camp or intruding on their privacy or messing with their world. Yeah. You know, the marketplace, we say, you know, there is a separation, you know, Pastor. You just can't talk about God in the marketplace. After all, it could cost you your job. And I'll address that here in a moment because I don't think any of us need to be reckless in that way. But I think that, honestly, if you really consider that statement, it's not a very true or biblical statement at all because a majority of people's time and energy and effort is spent where? In the marketplace. Why wouldn't God be there? I mean, we're relegating him to a Sunday and a Wednesday gathering 
with like-minded people for the most part. We're, we don't have the capacity or maybe haven't stretched ourselves recently to believe that he could be in a new place with people that don't necessarily have an awareness that he's there and we just identify him at work in the marketplace or just in a home in your neighborhood? Could he be actively working? So I'll share a couple of testimonies, then we'll get into some real nuts and bolts here. Okay. So a, a CEO of a very well-known company in the United States is going to the dentist and uh, he's, he's already been diagnosed as, we're going to give you a lot of Novocaine because there's a lot of work to be done on your mouth this morning. So as he sits in the chair, this is a true story. And I'm not using his name just because it's not relevant. It's not even important. The principle here is important. So he is like a, a brand name in the United States. And he's, he's, in, the, he's in the dentist chair. And the, uh, the hygienist who begins to prep him said, um, you know, that last year my husband put in an application to work for your company and you all denied the application. Now, he's in a pretty vulnerable position for someone who's getting ready to shoot stuff in his mouth and drill on his teeth. She makes that statement and his mind goes, what, what, what? I mean, he starts like, wow, where is this going? And then she tells the story as she continues to work on him. At the time, he was struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction. And the CEO, like, go ahead, go ahead. And she said, um, the HR department was not the one that shared the news that he was not going to be eligible for hire. You were the one. And he said, and he Motion and he sat up and he took the appliances out of his mouth and he said, I know your, I know, I know the man you're talking about. She said, it changed his life what you said to him. He's been sober and clean and held a job for the last year. Thank you for being a mouthpiece of the Lord to my husband. So what happened was the application came through HR. He took a UI test and failed it. It's a urine test. He failed the test. He was overqualified for the job, way overqualified. His resume was the best-looking resume there was. But he struggled outside of work hours. And so HR called in this man. And said, we have someone and we'd love to give him an opportunity. Can we change policy to give him the possibility of starting over? And he said, I'll handle this one. And he sat down and he looked at this man and he said, I want to share something with you. And I believe that this potentially could be the last appeal before something tragic happens. You have a beautiful young family a wife, a son, you just, you know, have shared with me, HR wrote it down in an interview, your wife's expecting you're going to have another child. 
Do you want to lose everything? Do you want to lose your family, your children, your future because of this choice? I appeal to you, consider Christ. And it changed his life. That didn't happen in a church. It took place in the marketplace. Someone who was a believer in an influential position used their influence for the goodness of God. He could have delegated that and said, just give it to HR. Let them do the hard work. Let them be the bad guy. But what he saw was potential in this person, and he spoke to that potential and beseeched them not to make that mistake. He used his authority for the goodness of God. He could have passed, but he didn't. So I want to remind you that we have a tendency to assume that the activity in the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God only occurs in certain places. But when in reality we've just read that God is at work continually in both traditional or familiar places that we are accustomed to as well as new places that sometimes catch us off guard. And we've just mentioned the marketplace because the marketplace is where we are for a majority of our day. So why would we think it's strange that the Lord would not be active in places and in people's lives that he loves so much. So God is at work. He is truly at work, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Number two, here it is. Are we paying attention? Are we paying attention? Because most of us have an idea of what we need to get done in any, any day. I get it. And I'm, I have a tendency to be like that. But are we open to opportunities? The story of Jesus and Zacchaeus tells us that Jesus is very observant. So there was a multitude of people there. A multitude probably means a lot, probably, you know, in the category of thousands that had gathered. And yet Jesus had lunch with how many? Zacchaeus. So he was observant. Zacchaeus was not someone that you would say was the cream of the crop. Or the pick of the people. He was not. But he was Jesus' pick that day. And sometimes we overlook people because we don't believe they're the cream of the crop. Or they're not the kind of people that we would like to be associated with. After all, it could tarnish our good reputation. It could hurt our witness. What if they associated us with sinners? That's a good association if... You as a saint are influencing them for the goodness of God. I think that's what Jesus is really good at. It's what he was good at in my life. And apparently yours also. So are we paying attention? Are we observant to those moments where someone is displaying faith? Or a hunger or desire for something new? Zacchaeus experienced God. That day. Most of us don't like to be. Identified in a crowd. But in that particular moment, it had to be one of the most humbling things that happened to Zacchaeus, where 
Jesus called him by name, Zacchaeus, in the midst of all of the other people, called him by name and said, you know, I'm coming to your place today for lunch. That is uh, sometimes, you know, taking a step and acknowledging someone that someone that society has marginalized makes all the difference in their life. By, by the time that Jesus was done in Zacchaeus's house, the evidence of repentance was everywhere. Would you agree with me? I mean, change was happening. He was experiencing God. Where did he experience God? In a tree. That's a new place. For goodness sake, he was in the open air in a tree and God started talking to him. What about all the time that people spend like going to the dance recitals, right? And they just, I mean, for anyone who has a daughter or granddaughter in dance, you know it's like the song that never ends. Like you wonder when the dancers are going to quit coming out onto the platform. They just keep coming out. And they all look very similar, right? They're all cute. They're bouncy. They're bubbly, right? But it's like hours and hours What if you could identify someone there, if you were paying attention, that could need or could use some affirmation? I mean, while you're there cheering on your relative or, you know, enjoying the festivities, what if God wanted to do something in that place? Are we paying attention to allow him to do it? And it can be just as simple as someone who has, right, not enough money to buy concessions. Or they look like they've just had a challenging day. However the Lord leads. So my last statement before I close is, not only are we paying attention, but are we sensitive to the needs of others? So it's one thing to be observant. It's another thing to be uh, obedient to what you observe. So the picture I want to paint with you that Scripture uh, shares with us is, is a woman who was a notorious sinner who broke the alabaster jar and poured it over Jesus. So she took a year's wages. Obviously, she... She had a reputation, and it wasn't a sterling reputation. Um, and yet, when Simon, the Pharisee, whose Jesus was in his home, when that took place, everyone's opinion was known. Not out loud, but Jesus perceived what was going on. And he told a story about who would forgive, who who loves the most. And the end of the story was those that are forgiven, much love much. And then he said, this is the statement. He said, Simon, behold this woman. I came into your house. You showed me no hospitality, no respect, no acknowledgement, no honor. And yet this woman, you guys have categorized as 
the worst one in the group. You don't even know how she got in your home. She snuck in the back door, just like she does all the other men that she's a part of. She knows where the back door is. She never walks in the front door. She always walks in the back door. And she takes care of the gentleman in the house and she leaves with a little bit of money. She took everything that she had gained and gave it to Jesus. But what he said was, look at this woman. He did. They weren't even sensitive to her needs. And yet, that was their responsibility. They were Pharisees. They were supposed to be sensitive to the people's needs. But somehow the roles got reversed. Are you with me? They believed the people were there for them instead of them for the people. We're here for this community. We're here for our neighbors. We're here for the glory of God. So experiencing God in new places, absolutely. I'm all for it. I know he meets with us here. And for that, we give thanks. I know he does a work here. But I believe he can do the same thing out there that he does in here. I believe that. And so God is at work. But the questions are, are we paying attention to where he's working? And are we sensitive enough to get involved and participate? And when we do, this is what we experience. And this is something I I believe that all of us agree with, is that most people are asking God for refreshing or revival or renewal or restoration, right? All of those prayers are being offered up. But what happens if you water somebody else? What does God do for you? He waters you. What if revival comes in a new way, in a new place, and restoration happens in a new place, and renewal happens in a new place, and not in a place where we're just waiting for God to pour out on us, but maybe it happens in a place where you're pouring out God on somebody else? So it can take place, you know, in the rivers, the byways, the highways. It can take place in the marketplace. It can take place in someone's home. It can take place, right? If we're paying attention and when we're sensitive, we can experience God and so can others in new places. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.